Greetings, friends and family. It is the weekend of November 29th. It is the first Sunday of Advent. I do hope that you and yours had a happy Thanksgiving. I also want to thank you for some time that I had away uh, with my family and uh, a good time. And um, so thank you. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support for all of us um, in the Yawn and the Baranowski family. This week we began a series entitled God With Us as we enter into this season of Advent, this season of hope. So as we begin today, let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. What is hope in your life? For some, hope is the first candle to be lit when the power goes out in the storm. Hope is the first day you wake up and can breathe again after an awful cold or, or even worse. Hope is that percentage you, you do have of beating the cancer. Hope is the faint line on that stick when you've been struggling to get pregnant. It's the first ray of sunshine through your window after a tearful and difficult night. Hope is it's the first soldier to land on the beach. Hope is hearing the words, He's going to be okay. Hope is the flicker of maybe, just maybe. Hope is the fuel of faith and dreams. And hope is what we celebrate on this first Sunday of Advent. Advent is is actually a season of hope. The word Advent comes means coming or arrival. And the season is marked by expectation, by waiting, anticipation, and longing. And Advent is not just an extension of Christmas. It is a season that links the past, the present, and the future. You see, Advent offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, and to be alert for his second coming. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope fulfilled in Jesus' coming, while at the same time looking forward and hopeful and eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns for his people. During Advent, we wait for both. It's an active, assured, hopeful waiting. And in a season that's in the years past has been marked by frenzied busyness, Advent is an opportunity to set aside time to prepare our hearts and help us place our focus on a far greater story than our own. It's the story of God's redeeming love for our world. It's not a season of pretending or covering over. It is a season of digging deep into the reality of what it means that God sent his son into the world to be Emmanuel, God with us. It's a season of expectation and preparation, an opportunity to align ourselves with God's presence. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you into this season. It's a time that allows for questions and struggle as we take time to prepare our hearts for Christ's coming. Advent is not a celebration that God comes to fix things. From broken computers to broken families to broken and hurting lives to a broken country, rather simply Advent is a celebration that God comes. God comes to be with us. He is the God with us in the darkness, in the pain, in the chaos, he comes and he makes a way. It's a long journey of hope. 
That's the way God has been working throughout history. You see, back in the beginning, in the way God intended this creation, he walked freely and openly with Adam and Eve. He was with us, and humanity enjoyed wholeness and intimacy with the holy God. But we know the story. Adam and Eve chose sin. Separation divided God and humans, and the brokenness of our world that we know far too well right now is the ongoing result of the fall. But do we realize that ever since, God has been working toward restoration and healing the wholeness for us and all that he's made? This is the the overall story, the arc of the Bible throughout it. We can see God making a way and giving and reminding us, his people, of hope that he's still at work. We see it in God's covenant with Abraham, then called Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, God promised in verse 3. And when God encountered Jacob at Bethel, he renewed that covenant and reinforced the hope rooted in his faithfulness. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Genesis twenty-eight fifteen. Now much time has passed, years, generations, centuries, and, and we people, we humans, we're, in, we're impatient. How long, O oh God, was the cry of the ancient, ancient Israelite people from the times of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah? And the many other prophets, there was a repeating history of devotion to God and neglect of God. There was prosperity and then there was recession, feast and literal famine, pleasure and pain. The Hebrew people were not much different from us. When things were good, they tended to forget about God. And when things got bad, they cried out for God's help again. But through it all, there was this deep an ongoing longing for God to fulfill his covenant and his promise of a Messiah who would come to make everything right. This, this wasn't just some idea that drifted in and out of the Israelites' consciousness and culture. This was a deep hope. This was their deepest hope that sustained them and encouraged them, spurred them on, and especially through thousands of years of waiting And in the midst of that long journey of hope, Isaiah is what Bible scholars call a major prophet. And he wrote a lot and taught a lot and played a prominent and a very public role in Israel. He was a famous guy in his day, though not very popular always, especially when he was telling kings and the general public things that they didn't want to hear. Like, hey, God doesn't like the way you're cheating poor people or an enemy empire is going to invade and destroy your country. Not a great dinner guest. But you might say Isaiah is the poster prophet for Advent, the season of longing, of expecting, and hoping for God to be with us. Through Isaiah, God gave Israel and us many prophecies and promises about the Messiah he would send. And in that way, Isaiah is a voice of hope. Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus, but, but he, he gave us beautiful words that ring with hope for the coming Messiah. Some of them, they're so familiar. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will be and call him Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, 14. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephathi, and But the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, Isaiah chapter 9. And later in the same chapter, Isaiah wrote, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Can you imagine living in, in an ancient world well, well before the time of digital or, or, or even really much written information and, and hearing a message like that? Can you imagine the hope that would spring up in your heart? Did Isaiah understand all these messages and promises? Well, on some level, yes, but on others, I don't know, probably not. He sure didn't know God's timeline for when all this would happen and when the Messiah would come. Perhaps Isaiah thought it would be in his lifetime, or maybe he was wise enough to know that God's work stretches for generations and generations. But Isaiah was filled with hope, and God's promises gave him fuel and his people to continue to hope for years and centuries, years and centuries. His vision of God with us, God with us, still fuels hope in us millennia later. So as we turn our, as we turn our attention to, to the Christmas story, to the narrative in Luke, Zechariah would have been well acquainted with, with the words and the prophecies of Isaiah. He would have known that he was a priest, and Luke described him as, a right, as righteous and blameless. He was, he was a good Jewish follower of God and a spiritual leader to his people. He undoubtedly held deep longings for the Messiah who had been promised. But Zechariah was still in shock when suddenly and out of the blue, an, an ordinary day when he was going about his, his priestly duties, God dropped this, this huge mega dose of hope into Zechariah's world for the people of Israel. So picture it, it's been 400 years since Israel has had a clear prophetic voice and message from God. 400 years. Think about how long that is. The United States is about 242 years old, just for a little perspective here. And to give a comparison for us, about 400 years ago, North America was was still to be explored by Europeans. Jamestown had just been settled. Henry Hudson had just discovered the Hudson Bay. So, so a long, long time ago, with many lives come and gone in between, but, but close enough in time that things were, were, were recognizable to, in our knowledge, I guess you could say. So when an angel showed up and told Zechariah that he would have a son who will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's Luke 1, 17. Zechariah knew the significance. He knew the prophecies of the Messiah, and he also knew that this was a miraculous occurrence all the way around. Because you see, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, well, they were old, too old to have children, to have kids. So when Zechariah received this special delivery, he, he, he's a little bit shocked, to say the least, and, and he couldn't quite get over this part about him and his old wife having a child. Who, me? Oh, we're, we're old, God. That's not possible. Had to have been his response. And, and as a result, God made sure Zechariah remained literally speechless until his son John was born. This was certainly an inconvenience, but can you ignore the hope that sprang up within this couple and the people around them when they heard this news? The old prophecies are about to be fulfilled. The one prophesied to the coming in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah is coming. God is moving to restore hope that he is still here, that the human expression of God with us is still coming, that God is about to stir things up and change eternity forever.
Hope in Israel was alive again. Hope on earth is at its deepest, at its deepest levels was alive again. I get it. Some of us are cynical. And so maybe you're thinking, that's great. That's nice for those people thousands of, thousands of years ago. But what about us? What about me? What they, they were fighting? They, they weren't fighting for cancer. Their spouse wasn't killed fighting in, in, in a war on the other side of the world or, or their spouse didn't walk out of them or they didn't lose their job without any warning with bills and bills to pay and debt stacking up. And, and they weren't living through a global pandemic. They didn't live through this tumultuous political season. No matter what kind of problems and struggles we are facing right now, no matter what kind of season of darkness and pain we are in, let me encourage you not to abandon hope. Hope is still alive. Even in our deepest pain and most hopeless circumstances, hope is alive because God is with us. How can we know? How can we find that tiny spark of hope when we're on the verge of giving up? Well, I think there's several ways that all of us can kindle and reconnect with God's hope during this Advent season, no matter what kind of circumstances we're facing. First of all, hope based on God's word. The first is that hope is based on God's word. Part of God with us is the written word that he has left us. These are his promises to his people, both long ago and today, right now. They're a piece of him. They're beacons of hope. They are reminders that can penetrate our hearts and spirits and, and can assure us no matter what we're facing, no matter how bleak tomorrow may look, no matter how bad the pain, God will never leave us or forsake us. And nothing can separate us from him. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I, if I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for the darkness is as of light to you. Psalm 139, 7 through 12. There's hope in those words. We are not alone. God with us means that he always will be with us and nothing nothing can ever take that away scripture is filled with stories and words and promises that can rekindle supernatural hope within us and as we move through advent let me encourage you to dig into these words of the of the bible expectantly because god is with us he can take hope and we can take hope that we are never alone that he is always working in and among us and that he is not done yet with his greatest and final work. Hope based on God's character. So first it's based on God's word. Secondly, his character. Or in other words, who he is and promises to be. There's this small story told in the book of Mark, chapter 5, 25 through 34. It's, it's easy to overlook, but it's this great story of hope. It's about a woman. We're not even given her name, but with a bold hope. For 12 years, this woman had been bleeding somehow, and no one had been able to, to help her. Doctors had tried but the woman's condition had only grown worse. This was a condition that would have affected everything about her every day, every day of her life. Those of us with long-term illnesses can perhaps relate. This woman was considered unclean and, and treated as an outcast because of her, her health problems. Even people who, who might try to understand her problem, well, they couldn't, and, and she didn't understand it herself. But she had heard about this Jesus 
the stories, the miracles, the healings, and she believed. And the hope awoke inside of her. The hope of healing, the hope of a new life drove her to action. If I can just get close enough to touch his clothes, I'll be healed, she thought. If this Jesus is who he says he is, he can heal me. It, it, it was a bold hope that she held. It, it may seem like a small action to us, but she did, she did what she could just to get close enough to Jesus to reach out. And when she did it, it made all the difference in the world. What, was it hard? Yeah, probably. Jockeying her way through the, the noisy, the, the, the crowd, it had to have been difficult, especially with a long-term illness, especially if she was stigmatized and looked down upon. Was she afraid? Of course, yes. Especially when people, when Jesus began looking for her in the throng of people, who touched me, Jesus asked. What, what do you mean, who touched me, his disciples asked. We're in the middle of a crowd. It's like, who didn't touch you? And, and, and the woman must have frozen in that really pregnant, long, powerful second on, the, on that one hand, she knew that she had been healed miraculously. On the other, was she about to pay a harsh penalty for her presumption? Uh, it, it was me, she said timidly, maybe fearfully. And, and Jesus connected with her deeply and directly. And as God with us and the healing, the peace and the freedom he gave changed her life. This is our God. This is his character. Jesus is worthy. He was and still is God with us. Emmanuel. He fulfilled Israel's hope for the Messiah when he arrived that first Christmas. He fulfilled humanity's hope for victory over death when he resurrected that first Easter. And one day he will ultimately fulfill all hope and complete God's work of restoration for all creation. This is the promise he left us with to give us a foundation of confidence and boldness. I am with you always to the very end of the age, Matthew 28, 20. It's a promise worthy to fuel our hope because God is true to his character because of who he is. We can hope in him. And thirdly, it's hope based on God's faithfulness. So it's his word, it's his character, and it's his faithfulness. The third, the third is his faithfulness. How, how, how has God worked in your life? What are those moments and memories when you have experienced God's work in your life? You, you, you know those times when you had no doubt he was there and he was working. Maybe it's been recently. Maybe it's been a long time ago. But in those circumstances going around you, the presence of God's spirit was with you. What, what does that have to do with hope? Well, what, what do those memories have to do with you here and now? Gratitude breeds hope. Thankfulness restores hope. You see, it's no accident, friends, that we just experience Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving where we pause and we spend time with family or with friends, however it is that we did that, and we pause and we stop and we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thankfulness fosters hope. Acknowledgement and appreciation bring hope. Listen to the words from Jeremiah found in Lamentations. It's a book most of us probably don't not spend too much time reading. I don't. Yet this is a call to mind and, 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 and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed for his compassions never fail. Listen to this language. This is absolute. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in them. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Lamentations 3, 21 through 26. Did, did we catch that at the beginning? Yet this is 
This is, I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Jeremiah understood that there is hope in the future when we remember what God has done in the past. He knew that hope sparks like a fire. It flows like water. It grows like a seed. Hope grows and spreads like a living thing. It can dwindle and wane, and yes, even die, but with with nurture, with care, it can revive and flourish and multiply. Focusing on gratitude can renew and grow our hope. Recognizing and appreciating the good that God has shown us in the past can increase our hope for all he will do in the future. Sharing this gratitude and hope with those who love and support us can can multiply its effects as we nurture this living hope. It can sustain us through our darkest days as we wait for God to move. We can hope because of God's word, because of his character, and because of his faithfulness. So in closing, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 13. Till we're together again. May God hold you in the hollow of his hand. Amen. And God bless.